shepherd and be led by him. We ask that our hearts, our minds would be filled with your word so that your spirit does control us. Lord, help us to understand this whole process of sanctification, of becoming more holy, becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that today we might have a better grip of what our responsibilities are and what your responsibilities are. Lord, help us to be encouraged, even though we're looking at a passage that shows a lot of different sins and we can identify with some of them. Lord, help us be encouraged by the fact that you have saved us out of the pit and that you want to renew us, revive us even, that you want us to truly walk with you, and the fact is that we can walk with you. Lord, help us to depend on your grace to do this. Lord, help us to depend on your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, we're continuing our study on walking in the Spirit. <clears throat> the question I pose to you this morning is, how can sin be re- rendered powerless? How can sin be rendered powerless? And you remember last week we were looking at Romans 7, and we saw that law, excuse me, that sin was as it were a law, that it's powerful. But how can this sin be rendered powerless in a Christian's life? Again, consider the effect of gravity on a book. Gravity would cause an unsupported book to fall. Right? Like that. But yet, actually, if you put something under the book, then the pulpit stops the book. Now think about this. There is a power called gravity, the law of gravity. It wants to pull it down. But if you put something under the book, then that something is more powerful than gravity. Okay? Now, you just think of it, say this is the sin force, and it wants to draw. And and let's look at this as, as it were, the Holy Spirit that stops that power. So again, for a Christian, the Holy Spirit is like the table or the pulpit, and the sin force is like the gravity's pull. By the way, gravity's, gravity is still as strong. It's just that the pulpit is stronger. Now, now think about it. The, the pulpit is stronger. And again, as it comes to the sin force in our life, the sin principle, whatever, however you want to say that, please don't use sin nature, okay? You have a human nature. The reason I don't like the, the terminology uh, sin nature is because then all of a sudden the tug is between just you and the sin force. Or somehow, sometimes people think that the sin force is the sin nature. It's really, so then it becomes just between the Holy Spirit and like you. Well, actually, it's the sin force. But again, the sin force remains the same. It's just that the pulpit is stronger. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's the same way. Like if you look in Galatians chapter 5, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why? Because the Spirit is stronger than the flesh, the sin force, the sin principle. Or like in Romans 8, 2, it says, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. It's real important as you were looking at this, and I want to break this as an intro up and again into three parts. 
what do you see in that scripture in verse 16? I say, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You really have... Now, some people would say, well, I see two components here. You have the Spirit and the flesh. Well, actually, you have three. You have the Spirit, you, and the flesh. Okay? Again, the Holy Spirit... Now, think about the Holy Spirit. When Christ enters a person's life, in other words, that's salvation, and that's the first question. Have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because, again, all this is immaterial if you haven't received Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you have not put your faith and trust in Him for forgiveness of sins, depending on His sacrifice on the cross, if you haven't done that, then all this doesn't apply to you. And my question is, would you receive Him? Would you receive Christ? Have you been under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of needing Christ to forgive your sins? But again, the Holy Spirit, when He he takes up residence at the moment a person receives the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that moment that he, that he enters the person and sets up residence, he, he immediately starts to do some things in that person's life. He, he frees them from sin, frees them in a positional sense. He moves them towards holiness. That's what verse 16 is talking about. Don't walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. He moves them towards holiness. John 16 says, He will guide you into all truth. Galatians 6, where we're at, or excuse me, 5 verse 22 and 23 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. So the Spirit is moving you to become fruitful, to to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans talks about access to God in prayer. Romans also talks about the assurance that the Spirit gives to a, a, a believer. See, all these things, the, the Spirit, as soon as He uh, enters the believer's life, becomes active. Sometimes I think we think He's passive. He's active. It's just that we're running the other direction many times. He also gives us power to become His witnesses, Acts 1. And to teach us to be submissive. That's part of uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. That we can be controlled by the Spirit. He teaches us submission too. And that's the life of the Christian. You know, we want to do our thing many times in the flesh, and He brings us back. All I want you to see is you have one person here, and the first person is the Holy Spirit. And, and notice what this, the last part of verse 18 says. Well, let's just read verse 16, 17, 18. Verse 17 says, For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Then he adds something. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So he goes from walking in the Spirit to being led by the Spirit. See, walking may give the implication of like equality. Like we walk hand in hand, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder. Well, the reality is he wants to lead us. That that shows sovereignty. That shows authority. The Holy Spirit has authority. He wants to lead us. Are you you being led by the Spirit of God? In fact, Romans 8.14 says this. In the same words, same uh, verb tense and everything. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If you're not led by the Spirit, you're not His. You have to be led by the Spirit of God. As soon as He takes up residence in your life, He wants to create holiness and fruitfulness, assurance. He wants you to be... um, empowered to witness, he wants to lead. That, that, that's, that's a major, major point. It, I was thinking about, like, uh, have you ever had to cross the street with a child and you grab the child's hand? Okay, little Johnny, let's go. And about a third of the way through, little Johnny says, ah, I want to do this, Daddy, you know. And, and so he's, you know, he starts to pull. Now, he's starting to pull in the middle of the road. 
And like, you know, the parent grabbing the hand just like drags little Johnny across or little Susie or whatever. Well, when you think about the word led, sometimes, I mean, hopefully the way that you're being led by the Spirit of God is not that scenario. It's that you are wanting to walk with Him. But yet He is sovereign. He is in control. He is the leader, okay? But sometimes we are like that little kid. And He tells us to do something, and you are pulling and struggling. But the reality is, if you're a Christian, you want to be led. You may struggle, and that's the whole part of repentance and have to ask forgiveness and stuff. But again, ultimately, he wins. Does he win in your life? By the way, has he been winning lately? Have you been walking with him? Or are you in a, are you in a struggle right now? Were there sins even yesterday or two days ago or three days ago that you committed, which means at this moment you're not walking in the Spirit, but you came to church because it's the thing to do, And you know that God's speaking to you and He's saying, listen, you need to make that right. You need to confess that. And maybe against Him, and it might be against one of your brothers or sisters. In other words, there might be some work you have to do right after the service. By the way, believers do not need to pray for the Spirit's leading because He's already doing that. I don't need to pray. I need to pray to be obedient to His leading. He wants to walk with me. So again, are you being led? But then the second, and I won't—I know he's person, or it's it is personified at times, but it's the flesh, it's the resident sin force. The second part of verse six, or the last part of verse sixteen, says the lust of the flesh. Again, not the sin nature. Again, this flesh is said to be a law in Romans seven twenty-one. It's a principle. It's a force. It has power. It has energy. This flesh in you has energy. And again, it impels humans to sin. That's why we sin. Again, by the way, we're responsible for it. It happens within our hearts, the control center, as it were. But if you say, well, how is it that we keep doing it? It's because you have this sin principle within. And the sin principle is constantly working, this force, through our human nature. It's not our human nature, but it works through our human nature to produce these fleshly fruits that we're going to be studying in a moment. It seeks to dominate oneself, one's personhood and nature. While this aspect of sin is commonly called, again, sin nature, it is more accurate to be called the sin force. Now, just call it the sin force. So you got the spirit, that's, the fo- that's a force. You have the sin, which is a force. But the third is, is you, okay, is you, the new man. That's what he means by when he says, if you... If you walk in the Spirit, excuse me, walk in the Spirit, and you, always remember, that's the third part. If you just see it as the Spirit, and it's the struggle with myself, now you're making that personal, the sin force. The sin force is impersonal. It's over here. It's a power. And I have to see it as that, because, see, the sin force resides within our body, the the unredeemed body that's someday going to be glorified. And someday that's gone. But the me, the real me, that's why uh, uh, Paul was saying, I, I do the things that I don't want to do. What do you mean, I? I'm, he's saying, the real me, the real redeemed me. Why is it that I keep sinning when I have the redeemed me? But again, the sin force has a beachhead. Again, it's resident within the body. So again, the lust of the flesh refers to physical appetites. 
But or excuse me, the lust of the flesh refers not to physical appetites, but to the demands of the sin force within our bodily flesh, the unredeemed humanists, to do evil. And it pushes us. And by the way, these appetites are not all wrong. What do you mean by appetites? What are some bodily appetites? Self-preservation. That's not wrong. Johnny, get out of the street because you get run over by a truck. Hopefully the little kid will leave, right? But again, the sin force takes that that desire of self-preservation and it can can push you to be self-ish. And everything, well, everything revolves around my preservation. I'm not willing to sacrifice for anybody. I'm not re- ready to risk for anything because it's all about me. Do you see how something that is good is taken? Take food. Is food good? But now, but listen, eat as much as you want. Be a glutton. Now the sin force has taken what something is good, food, and, and uh, perverted and made it bad. How about sex? Is that good? Sex is very good. In fact, I teach the, the kids, the college kids, or the high school kids. Sex is good. What? In marriage. Get it outside of marriage, bad. Right? Evil. So again, these are appetites. These are, these are uh, desires that hum- humans have. They're not necessarily bad, but they can become bad. Love. Companionship. Is companionship good? Excellent, right? But again, sometimes, um, sometimes what happens in a person's life is that becomes the focal point. I have to have a f- companion. I see this with kids sometimes. I have to have a boyfriend. I have to have a girlfriend. I have to have a husband. <clears throat> you see how now something that is good has become sinful because it's become an idol. All right? So you have the Spirit of God that works against the sin force, and, you're, and, and the humanness is what it works on, your own humanness. Well, let's look at some of the ways that, uh, some of the things that the flesh wants to accomplish in your life. Look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are. Again, this is the conflict, and he's going to illustrate it. He's going to give us the contrasting list. The first list is 19 to 21. Second list is 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. So he says, listen, let me give you some lists. By the way, in the ancient world, there were very, it was very common to have lists. This is not a comprehensive list, by the way. You can go to like Romans 1, has another uh, list, has, you know, has some other things that are added on. Uh, Colossians 3 has some, 2 Timothy 3 has another list. There's a number of lists throughout the uh, uh, New Testament. And again, the, the uh, first century Christians in that time period in the ancient world were very familiar with lists. This is not, again, an exhaustive list. He's just like pulling out, I think he's pulling out four major categories, and he's saying, listen... If you want to track your spirituality, see, you're saying that you're spiritual. Let me give you some lists to go by. Let me give you some characteristics of what the flesh does and what the spirit does. And the idea was, and they and you can look at these lists and say, you know, am I really walking in the spirit? Am I really being led by the spirit? Am I really uh, filled with the spirit, like Ephesians 5.18 says? So that's why we're studying this. It's, it's like a checklist for you. It's a practical test. Are you walking in the Spirit? Are, if these things are in your life, these things of the flesh, you can say, you know what, I'm not being by, led by the Spirit at this time. Um, again, are, is your life being characterized by the first list or the second? You know, the fruit. And if it's characterized by the first list, if, if you start seeing a lot of these things in your life in verses 19 to 21, you either have to determine one of two things. Either... You, you're a believer who is not being led, or you're not even a believer at all. 
Okay, if, if that's the characteristic of your life, you, you need to really seriously consider whether you're a believer at all. Now, what does he mean when he says, now the works of the flesh are evident? You know that word, evident. I think maybe one version says obvious. It, well, that's where the works of the flesh are obvious. Again, some of these are committed in public, some in private. But they're obvious that these are the works of the flesh and not the work of, of God, right? I mean, when you start looking at adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, hatred, jealousy, contention, it's obvious. This, these are the work of the sin force. Uh, Pastor, are you saying that, you can't, that Christians can't commit these? No. No, that's why he's, he's writing to Christians saying, look at, look at your life. But again, if these are become a characteristic of your life, you need to start considering whether or not you're even a believer. You mean you're willing to put doubt in my life as to whether I'm, I'm a believer? Yeah, if, if, you, if these are the characteristics of your life, what, what the Lord would say is, um, test yourself, see if you're in the faith, like Second Corinthians says. Okay, so these are obvious. These are, these are uh, fleshly sins. And when I mean fleshly, I don't mean just the first three Adultery, fornication, unclean, or four, lewdness. I'm saying these are fleshly sins. That even when you get down to murder, drunkenness, revelry, self-ambition, these are fleshly. This is the work of the flesh. Now, now let's remember. Let me give you one other perspective, one other point as we think about this. Again, the Holy Spirit, sin force. It's you. There's you. But in in Matthew or Mark seven verse twenty, Jesus said this, and he said. What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covet. He goes on and on. All these things come from within and defile. So if you commit these, understand what's happened is the flesh has worked on the you, your, your control center, which is your heart, and has been allowing these things to work, okay, uh, be accomplished in your life. So think of your heart. See, your heart wasn't completely redeemed at salvation. The, the heart can still be controlled by the flesh, okay, is what I'm trying to say. It can be controlled by the spirit. It can be, think of the heart as kind of like, again, a control center, like the, um, oh, what is that called with the airplanes, the, the, the tower? What is that called? The, yeah, control tower, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to, yeah, you know, whatever, you know, but not the control center, the control tower. Okay, but the bottom line is this. Things come in. That is controlling. Well, the heart is the control center, but it's, the question is, what is it listening to? That's why Proverbs says, guard your heart. That's why we're supposed to renew our mind, which is synonymous with our heart, because we want to make sure that we're taking the commands from the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and not the flesh. See, if you take it from the flesh, it's going to push you towards self-will, selfishness, self-indulgence. So again, the heart is like the control tower, the control center. But we need to make sure that we're getting the right information, okay? Well, let's look at some, some of these sins. By the way, as, as we look at this, I, I, I almost called the whole message the pit of hell. Look, peering into the pit of hell. I thought that's kind of negative, you know. But, you know, at times over the, my, my uh, years of uh, dealing with homes, once in a while you have to get into the septic system. As I told you years, uh, years ago, I actually cleaned out our septic system one time. Thankfully it was small. 
But periodically, I've had to do other things with septic. You know, I mean, you have to dig up a pipe or, you know. And one of the oh, worst feelings is when you're like, you know, and for some reason, like, it'll splash. You know, ooh, you know, ooh. Now, those pants are dusted, you know. Although I'm a saver, okay? I mean, I have, I have pants from, like, you know, 25 years ago when I, my, you know, my waist was a lot smaller than it is now. And my wife keeps saying, you know, just, will you just use them once and then throw them away, you know, use them. But, honey, this, this is a good pair of pants. These have been with me a long time, like a good friend. Well, anyways, why am I telling you all this? Because, because as I look at this list, I almost feel like I've been, uh, I, I've been splashed with sewage. And by the way, I could, I could preach a message on each one of those sins. And I know that one of the hard things going to be is to get through the whole list in two weeks. And the other thing that's going to be hard is I don't want to splash you with sewage. See, I can get, I can get, very, uh, I can get very particular and, and, and really break these apart. I don't think we need to do that. It, the purpose is not that today, okay? The purpose is to just give you an identification and say, okay, these are things... Um, that the flesh wants to produce. So I want to expose the sewage to you, but I don't want to splash you with it. All right? And that sometimes is hard because, you know, you can get almost too deep. And again, I know young years and all that. But let's, let's go to the first set. And by the way, I think they, they break down in, into four sets. Okay, there's four sets of things here. And I'll only get through two or three today. See how far we go. The first is sexual sins. Sexual by the way, some versions add an extra word. Like if you have a New King James, uh, King James, they add adultery. And then the next word is fornication. Actually, the four that I have is adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. Okay? Or however, some of yours only has fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness, or sensuality, or debauchery, those three. But again, these are all sexual sins. I find it interesting that he, first of all, covers sexual. By the way, for a pastor, for an elder, after the main characteristic in 1 Timothy 3 of blameless, he says the husband of one wife, a one-woman man. I've always found that interesting in both Titus and Timothy. The first major characteristic of an elder has to be that he's holy in the area of sexuality. I'm not saying he doesn't struggle. I'm saying he is holy in that area. Not perfect, but becoming perfected. Again, sex is good. Let me just put this as, a, as, an, as an umbrella thought. Because again, as we talk about sensual passions, I don't want you to say, oh yeah, that's right, sex is all. No, sex is good. Sex is like fire in a fireplace. It's warmth. It is warm and delightful. But if you get it outside of the stove, it is destructive and uncontrollable. Sex is good in its place. But here, we're looking at the sewage of when it gets out of its place. So the first word is, again, adultery. Makes, you know, that's just obvious, adultery, uh, sex outside of marriage. The second word is found in all the versions is fornication or immorality, your version might have, or sexual immorality. The actual word is pornea. We get pornography. By the way, with fornication, this word here, it's, it's got to do with the actions Okay, you may want to put the word action. It's a very broad term. It refers to all illicit, immoral sexual activity. It actually, I think, is derived from a word meaning prostitute. It kind of gives you the idea. 
but all kinds of sexual immorality, all kinds of sexual perversion. And again, for the Romans and the Greeks of that day, they were shamelessly open to all these vices. Again, all types of sexual perversions, adult, which would include these. It actually includes the word, I mean, the concept of adultery, fornication between married and unmarried, homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality. Again, very common in, the, in this world. Very common. Now think about this. The sin force wants to produce fruit in your life, works of the flesh, which are these. Okay? It's pulling you towards this in different ways. This is, by the way, not just a man's sin. Although men many times fall into these sins. If specifically, this word pornea is used in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. Again, 1 Corinthians, to a church. Paul writes to a church. And he says there's a man in the church, and he's committing incest. In other words, sexual relations of a man with his stepmother. I mean, you can see how vile sometimes the actions, even within the church. And I mean, he said, listen, you need to get him out. He's like leaven. He's going to infect many others. This word is also used just the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 6, where it says, Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. In other words, the Lord saved you, and He's even made your body the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's for the Lord. And the Lord, for the body, verse 18, flee sexual immorality. That's a, that's a, a, a command. Flee it. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. I didn't bring the article with me, but it was interesting. When a man and woman has intimacy, there's an actual chemical in her brain and his that brings them closer together through that act of intimacy. Uh, Octocillion and... Oh, I forget. I wish I brought the article. But the, the point is this. It makes sense why he says that this sin is so unique. Because once you have intimacy with another person, if it's not your wife, not your husband, or let's say this, you're hooking up, and so now this, this college girl, high school girl, high school guy is sleeping around, and all of a sudden now there's all these chemical problems, in the sense, not chemical in the sense of depression, I'm saying because now there's this connection point with these other people. I mean, it really, you have to be real. Not only is it immoral, but there's even some physical things that have to do with it. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, For this is the will of God, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Again, this was a very immoral society 2,000 years ago. Would you say the same is happening here today? So immoral. I read a, a couple books, major parts of the books, as far as to get ready for this. Just amazing how our society in the last 100 years has moved to so much immorality. Now, let's go from fornication to uncleanness, or the New American says impurity. Cartharisi. Um, like cauterize a, 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 a wound, like when you seek to clean it. This is ah, though. This means not clean. Instead of clean, this means unclean, unclean. Dirty. It's pointing towards the moral part. And I believe he's hitting at the heart, whereas the first word fornication is action. This is heart. This is giving you an idea of the heart of this type of person. The flesh wants to move you to do these actions, but in the process, your heart becomes dirty. It's used medically to refer to an infected, oozing wound. 
Have you ever had a broken bone and they wrap it and they say, well, you have to, you know, you have to change the gauze, the bandages every couple days, you know, and you take that out and it's just, ugh. I mean, you certainly don't say, well, I think I'll save that bandage for later. <laughs> right? It's just oozing. But it, it, went, it came to mean anything unclean, especially in the sexual realm. Okay? If you go to Romans chapter 1, keep your hand in Galatians. Romans chapter 1, you'll see this uncleanness. And by the way, this is the, this is the beginning of the... Uh, the abandonment of God by a, to a nation. Okay, I, I think this is a people more than a person, although it happens individually in a person's life as well. So both pers- person and corporate. But in verse 24 it says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. That's the same word. By the way, that is after, I mean, if you just back up a few verses, they didn't want to, basically 18, 19, 20, they didn't want to accept God as the creator. They didn't want to... Uh, accept him as, as God. They weren't thankful. Uh, their foolish heart was dark in verse 21. For, pre- for professing to be wise, they became fools. The obvious things in society they said no to. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made of corruptible man, birds, and four-footed. But those are not just the only thing. Sometimes they put on the pedestal things, materialism, sex, and what does it say? God just gave them over, verse 22, or 24, gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves who changed the truth of God for a lie, worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. That's the first step down for a person. Okay? Uh, not just doing the sins, but showing their heart. Okay? In fact, that's, you can go back I'm going to be back to Romans 1 in just a few minutes, but again, Galatians is where we're at. What's the point? The point is that this uncleanness, again, is more than just an action. It's after the actions have happened, the heart is unclean. People start to, that's all they think about, okay? It becomes a control center, the control tower. Ephesians says, who past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with covetousness. So again, there's giving yourself over to it. And Colossians 3 says, put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire. Again, we can move. And, And again, it's obvious that an unbeliever can move in that direction, but a Christian can too. And then finally, the third word in Galatians is lewdness or sensuality or the word debauchery. And one of those three probably in your version. It means open and reckless contempt for something that is holy. Open and reckless contempt for it. It originally referred to any excess or lack of restraint but came to be associated primarily with sexual excess. And again, so prevalent in America. It refers to unrestrained sexual indulgence. And this indulgent affects, or maybe you want to say this way, infects others. <laughs> it affects others. It's, all right, let me say it this way. It's flaunting immorality in public. Can you think of anything in, that happens? Like a parade. Like a gay parade. And you have, I mean, have you ever watched one of them? I mean, just, just like, 
And you say, no, well, periodically, you know, you're just like, like, what? You know, just openly in your face, flaunting sin, okay? Now think about this. They sinned, their heart was darkened, and now they're flaunting it. You see the spiral? There's a spiral there. When it comes to sin, you don't stay like this. You go down. Now, if you're in Romans, let's, let's see, because this is what he says in Romans 20, 26. Look at this. Verse 24, he gave them over to uncleanness. Their heart was darkened. For this reason, God gave them over to vile passions. Even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. In other words, lesbianism. Likewise, the men leaving the natural use for the woman burned in their lust one for another, men with men. We see this in America. The sexual revolution actually started in the 20s. Margaret Sanger, you had the Kinsey Report, which was, he was just an, an ungodly um, pervert, which led you up to the 60s, sexual revolution, which led you into the 80s, the homosexual revolution. And now we're dealing with all the things of America, and we have, verse, what is it, verse 28, a debased mind. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled, being filled. In other words, the word is controlled. Totally filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, malicious, full of envy, murder, strife. I mean, isn't that, a, isn't that our, our, uh, our nightly news right there? Okay. I mean, I can say this. God has abandoned America. I'm not saying he won't rescue. I'm not saying he couldn't even change. I mean, he can change. And if we repent... You know, the Lord is always gracious. But from right there, he is abandoning in America. And you can see it from the 60s, actually 20s, to the 60s, to the 80s, to right now. I mean, and you know what? It's going to come out in a lot of different ways, even the way we handle our finances. <laughs> is it all about me? If it is, that's what's happening in the financial realm. There's no sacrifice anymore as far as in America corporate. But again, there's always hope. Anytime God is in, involved in the process, there's hope. But just understand that, that this is the downward spiral. You know, what's interesting is, is how feminism has responded to this. See, feminism started again with uh, Margaret Sanger, Planned Parenthood. That was really kind of like the beginnings. And then in the 60s, you know, sexual revolution, actually sexual liberation was the idea. Then in the 1970s, this is what was interesting about the feminist movement. They were actually against pornography. They were, because they felt like pornography um, used and abused women. Would you agree with that, by the way? Yeah, I looked up and focused on the family, some lies about pornography. This is what pornography says, that women are less than human. They're just a toy. Well, no, you could call them a playmate. They're like sport. So they appear in swimsuit issues. Their property, that's why you see a really nice-looking girl, you know, like laying on the car. The idea is she's like property. You buy the car, you get her too. Actually, the only thing you get is rust. This is the, the real damaging one, though. I mean, those are damaging. But that a woman's value depends on her attractiveness. That's really sad. And, you know, I think Christians fall into that. And do you know that there are even, like, you know, pageants for little kids? 
And I mean, you know, they dress them up and they false eyelashes and, and uh, makeup and, and really they're, they're kind of putting them out as uh, objects. I hope you never do that. Again, pornography is a major problem. Now, by the way, you say, well, wait, you're talking about actual sins in Galatians chapter 5. Yes, but where do they come from? Well, most would agree that you have, there are entrance sins to fornication and adultery and all this. And I would say pornography is one of those entrance sins. You start in pornography and then you move you down the path. Uh, go to Matthew chapter 5, if you would. Matthew chapter 5. It's interesting, as you talk about pornography, how pervasive it is. And again, I don't necessarily always talk about statistics. But when you talk about pornography and, like, fornication, <coughs> like, they've done studies and it's shown that 20% of kids under 15 have had sex. I mean, I find that unbelievable. Although you're probably saying probably the number is even higher than that. Like people, boys, especially boys watching pornography, it's up in the 60, I think, percentile. Of men, and at least half have seen a pornographic site in the last year. Of pastors, it was 44%. Okay. I mean, it's a huge problem. Unfortunately, um, they say that as far as... And pornography is not just found at the... At the you know, down the hall or whatever, or, or down the road, it's it's in your house, it's in your inter- it's on your internet, it's 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 on the TV. They say that with kids, they, they before they graduate, they'll have watched uh, what is it, fifteen thousand hours of TV and only gone to school twelve thousand hours. Now think about that. The amount of input that we're getting, and a lot of it is so garbage. All these, you know, all the sexual stuff. But look at Matthew 5, 27. It says, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. Well, of course, that's the act. I say to you that everyone that who looks at a woman to lust, woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That word look is in the present tense, which means a continuous process of looking. It's not an incidental, involuntary look. It's an intentional, repeated look. It's, it's what you see in, in, in James chapter 1 when, it's, when he talks about let no one say, excuse me, uh, verse 14, each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desire and enticed. The idea is you're drawn out from safety and you're enticed. And it's when a man or a woman gets that glazed look as they're looking at something they know they're not supposed to, but it's almost like it has its hooks in you. Have you ever had that where it feels like it has its hooks in you? And again, with pornography, it falls, and then it moves into other things, such as, again, sexual sins of fornication and uncleanness. I like what Stuart Scott says. Sexual sin can and will destroy a man's life and his marriage relationship as no other. It will. This sin can and will destroy a man's life and his marriage relationship like no other. If it's true that that many men are connected with pornography, and it just stands to reason that some of you are. Some of you probably have a major deep issue. Maybe your wife doesn't even know about it. And I would ask that you women ask your husbands, your 
even a boyfriend, is this something you struggle with? By the way, we all struggle. We live in such a sensual society. I, I mean, it is very difficult to sometimes look a woman in her eye, at her, at her eye, in her eyes. But the point is, is we have to come to grips with the fact that this is killing a lot of men spiritually. To just look, to lust, that gaze. Not incidental, involuntary, intentional, repeated. And then it becomes more and more uh, pronounced. It has a lot of consequences. Disease and guilt, loss of God's blessing, loss of God's fruit in your life. Relationships that are destroyed. I was reading one book, and the, 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 the name of the book by Steve Gallagher is this, The Altar of Sexual Idolatry. Now think about that. He, he actually identifies sometimes sexuality, perversion, can actually become the idol itself. I mean, it, it does become the idol. So if it's true that many men, especially, and women... By the way, women uh, struggle with a lot of, this, a lot of these issues... Again, a lot of the romance novels and all this other stuff that's out there pushes you. See, it's not just men who have the, the issue. Women want to be pursued, and men like to pursue. Is that true? Is that correct? So sometimes, yeah, men want to pursue, and that's what I'm talking about, pornography. But women many times dress in such a way that they will be pursued. You see how that's a hard attitude as well? We have to be careful. What are some of the um, what are some of the the keys to having victory in this area? Well, first of all, I would say let's just follow it through with in Matthew chapter five because one of the keys is right here. I see I'm running out of time. It says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you, for it's more profitable for you that one of your your members perish, and for your whole body to be cast into hell. If you, one of your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. For it is more profitable that one of your members perish. By the way, the members there is, is not necessarily, he's talking about the hand, because you could get rid of your hand and your right eye, and you'd still have the problem. He's saying whatever it's causing, as far as it's, that's the, the trigger, get rid of. The trigger, get rid of the trigger. We should be willing to give up whatever is necessary, even the most cherished things we possess, if doing that will help protect us from this evil. That's being radical. Okay, You have to be radical. Nothing is so valuable as to be worth preserving at the expense of righteousness. So if you're a man especially, and you have this issue, are you willing to be radical so that you don't keep falling? Are you willing to be radical? Let me give you just a couple other things. I taught a lesson on this one time. And there's six real quick things I can give you. First of all, plan for it. It's going to happen. We live in a sensual society. Remember Job 31 says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? In other words, I'm planning for it. I know it's going to be there. I've got to plan ahead of what am I going to do. Number two, understand it. Lust is never satisfied. Understand that the object of lust cannot satisfy. It's kind of like eating a piece of pie. You think you're going to be satisfied? What do you want? More. Lust in any way is not satisfied. Whether it's a pitcher or whether it's a person, it won't satisfy. It's kind of like that story of Amnon and Tamar. She, he wanted her so bad. Had intimacy, and then what did he say? I don't want you anymore. Okay. 
move on. Because Proverbs says, the eyes of man are never satisfied. Number three, kill it. Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, which is pornea, unclean, the same word. Kill it. How do you kill something? Well, you can stab it, but when it comes to a spiritual sense, you what? Starve it. You starve it. If it's the internet, then get rid of it. By the way, I, I've had to deal with it over, over the years periodically. And it's like I've had to put myself under a lot of different... Because you know, I don't want to fall there. Number th- four, admit it. Remember what David says, when I kept silent, my bones became dry. It's like, you know, the drought of summer. Admit it. Confess it. In other words, don't ignore it and say, well, I really don't have a problem. No, no. Lord, this is me. Not the real me, but this is what the sin, flesh, or sin force has done in my life. Number five, abandon it. Proverbs 28, 13 is a huge one. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes will have mercy. You have to forsake it. If you find that you just keep confessing and confessing, then the next question is, you have to forsake it. You have to forsake it, abandon it. Proverbs 28, 13. Another one, flee it. I, I read that earlier to you, 1 Corinthians six eighteen. Flee sexual immorality. And then the final one is replace it. The idea is this. If you find pleasure in this area, repent of it and find what God would want to replace, how he want to replace and pursue that. Pursue holiness. When you, not only that you pursue holiness, but you know you've arrived, as it were, when you prefer it. When you look back and you say, how foolish, how wicked I used to be when I was there, knowing that you could still fall. Now, I have spent a tremendous amount of time on this. I only have, I want to cover a couple more points. But I did because I know that we are a very sensual society. And when, we, and when it says the flesh wants to destroy you, it does. And many of you are being destroyed. Unfortunately, it's like this, and you're isolated. And nobody even knows. And yet these thoughts, and it might not be pornography on the internet. It might be that you're looking at another woman and you're wondering, it might be you or the woman. And you're like wondering, you know, my, my home life is my husband's not that. And I, boy, I really, well, he's so nice. He always comes to work dressed so nice. And you're wondering. Understand, the flesh wants to pull you in that direction. Okay, let's, let's go back to now we're in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Let me give you two more categories. Uh, verse 20 idolatry and sorcery. That's the next two works of the flesh. Idolatry and sorcery. These are spiritual sins. What I mean by spiritual, I mean how they directly relate to religion, man-made religion. What is idolatry? It is the quest to find our identity and security in anything or anyone beside the one true God. Finding your identity, finding your security in something other than God. It means to worship someone or something other than the true God. I gave you this quote. It is giving yourself to some person, some goal, ideal, object other than Christ. It involves hitching your heart to some false savior and refuge, exalting your personal desires above the Lord, serving some master other than God. Now you might say, well, I don't do that. 
Well, let me give you how it plays out, like in Matthew chapter 6. Worry is an expression of idolatry. Worry. Your worry is a sign that in some way you are trusting in yourself or something other. That you are building your life on things or people other than Jesus. Your anxiety is an automatic indicator of a heart that is not fully following the Lord, but is temporarily following someone, something else. You see what the flesh wants to do? Create idolatry in your heart. Don't trust him. He's not fully trustworthy. By the way, remember the flesh hates God? No. And, and, and so the, the signal, the red flag, is that you worry, that you're fearful, that you're anxious. That's idolatry. That's what the flesh wants to produce. That's why Matthew 6 says this, No man can serve two masters. And they love the one hate the other one, right? You can't serve two. But then the next verse after that one says this, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Therefore, based on that, you can't serve two masters. Therefore, therefore, don't worry about your life. Why? Because the carryover is this. If you find yourself worrying, that's because you're trying to serve two masters. Your, Your heart is not fully focused on God at that moment. If you're fearful and anxious, understand your heart is not fully focused on Jesus Christ. And that's what the flesh wants to do. It wants to produce idolatry in your heart. And one of the symptoms of idolatry is worry, anxiousness, fearfulness, anything that makes you independent of God. And then the next word is sorcery or witchcraft. The word is pharmakeia. We get pharmacy out of it. Back then, part of worship of the evil one witchcraft, black magic, and all that. They use actually drugs. That's why, that's the connection point. Drug use. The flesh wants you to be dependent, again, dependent, uh, independent of God, idolatry. Dependent on something else, pharmakeia. It wants you to be dependent on something other than God. Those are direct spiritual sins, if you will. Not to say that those other sins don't affect the spirit, but those are more sexual sins. Spiritual sins. And then finally, look at these relational sins as we close. And I'm just having time to, to name them. Next week we'll start up. But, but notice how many of these there are. Relational sins. Now again, this is to a church. Hatred. Hatred. Flesh wants to create hatred. By the way, opposite of love. God is love. You might say hatred how? Hatred to all types. Hatred to other classes. I remember, I used to always kind of grew up in a prejudiced home, okay? Referring to certain types of people by their names, but it was a slur. That's a form of hatred. The way you respond to other classes of people, social, economical, nations, other individuals, racial, religious. By the way, in Jesus Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. There's equality. Flesh wants to create hatred. Contentions. In other words, bitter conflict. Jealousy. Jealousy means envy. I want what someone else has, and I'm very frustrated when they have it and I don't. In fact, I'm so frustrated, I wish they didn't have it. I'm actually hoping they they lose it. You're saying Christians do that with other Christians? Yes, that's where the contentions come from. By the way, I think they kind of lead off. Hatred comes from contentions, comes from jealousy. I think you're going down to the attitude, the motive is the jealousy. I think another action is the outburst of anger. Outburst, just... You ever see someone blow? I've done that a few times. 
But that is not God working through me. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. These are all relational sins. He gave us, what, three or four sensual sins, a couple spiritual sins. Look at all these, seven of them. It, why? Because it's a huge problem in the church. And these are the sins that drain the church. If you think about the, the, the sins that drain the strength of the church of Jesus Christ, these are the sins. People involved in sensual, sexual. People involved in idolatry and their minds and their hearts are not fully committed to Jesus Christ. Or just the problems that they have with other Christians. And by the way, when they have problems with other Christians, many times what they do is they leave the church. I know most, well, actually all of you pretty much have come from other churches. So I'm not saying that you always did that wrong. But I'll say this much. God says this to you. Make sure that you have no untied problems with other Christians. In other words, if you have a problem, if you have a sin against another Christian, if they've either sinned against you or you've sinned against them, make sure you get that right. Don't just leave the church. Make sure you tie up loose ends. Remember what uh, Jesus said? If you're at the altar, remember that your brother has something against you because you sinned against them. Leave your gift at the altar. Go be reconciled to your brother. Then come back and offer In other words, reconciliation is even more important than worship. It's a higher priority at that moment. Don't go through the motions of worship. If you know you have something, your brother has something against you, stop. Lord, I need to stop. Leave my gift here. I'll be back. I'm going to go get reconciled. God says that's the priority. But then Matthew 18 says just the opposite. See, there you're the offender. But it says if your brother sins against you, you go to your brother. So whether you're the offender or the offended, it's your responsibility to go. J. Adams says this, Few things are sapping the strength of the church of Jesus Christ more than unreconciled state of so many believers. So many believers just in an unreconciled state. They've had arguments, they've had frustrations, they've said, they've gossiped, they've gotten upset, they've gotten frustrated, they've left. I mean, I've experienced that here a number of times. And then you hear the gossip keep coming back, and I think, God's never going to bless that person's life, and I don't even know why the church there let them in. You understand? They're just fleshly. But you know what? There might be some here. Let's analyze our life. Are you involved in sensual sins? You're following the flesh. You can't be blessed. Are you following the spiritual sins of idolatry or dependence on something other than God? You can't be blessed. God wants you to walk in the Spirit, led by Him. Or are you involved in some type of relational sins? There's conflict. It might be between you and your your parents. Or it might be the parent with the kid. And it's just so angry and I don't want to deal with it because every time I do, I blow. But you haven't resolved it. And what's happening in your heart is hatred. What's happening in your heart? It might be jealousy. It might be contentions. Outbursts of anger. But you know if you get in that situation. Ask God to lead you to resolve that. I read of a father who was in a study reading and he, and he heard a commotion outside the window. It was his, da- his daughter who was playing with some friends and it got louder and louder and louder and more heated and argumentative. And finally, he just couldn't take it any longer. He's trying to study. He's like, you know, opens the window and will you stop it, honey? What's wrong? And the little girl after the rep- reprimand said this, but daddy, we were just playing church. <laughs> Unfortunately, sometimes that's what churches are 
are known for, just contention. Hopefully this is not here. But again, one of the ways we can preserve the, the unity of the Spirit here is make sure of this. If there is an issue with another believer that you go to them, it, w- would you agree with that? If there is an issue with another believer, you go to them and you resolve that. Whether it's you confessing or you confronting, you resolve that because we need to keep the unity of the Spirit. And if it's with one of us as leaders, understand, would you agree, Lee, that we're all approachable as leaders? You come and see us because the last thing we want to do is allow an, an attitude, a spirit of division to start to grow here. Let's stand as we worship the Lord. And I trust before you, a word comes out of your mouth that you have at least confessed if one of those sins is in your life. And then you would make the appropriate steps that you would walk in holiness.